On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we will be talking about college bowls and whether it's more important to look at player quotes than it is statistics, because statistics lie and player quotes don't. Player and coach quotes don't. Uh, We'll be talking about a lot around the uh, Orrin Hatch legalization of or federal legalization of sports betting uh, bill that he wants to pass and what we like about it, what we don't like about it. And then finally, we'll be doing our NFL picks as always, where Rufus and I have a few overlaps. So with that, uh, we, as always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app, which is the number one app for all of your sports betting information and paraphernalia, etc. And so with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppet teaser, but the end is running off a let it none of it's organic it all sounds synthetic that's why i fucks with jeff ma and his dog rufus no locks of the year they just tell you what their truth is maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner give the information turn and lose the betters into winners yeah stern huh reppin ruckers jeff ma rufus peabody Crunching all the numbers Massy Peabody rankings We're looking for the edge Analytically driven Crunching all the numbers Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast Where we're not even going to talk about the actual uh, Hey, by the way, they're going to have heard this new theme song, Rufus That it's, it's exciting, right? It's we have one of our fans put this together And it's very, very cool um, and he even gave us an outline of how we should do the decathlon. But I have an idea of how we should do the decathlon events, at least. And yes, I know a decathlon is 10 events, not eight events. Someone finally called me out on Twitter uh, on that and basically asked me if I really went to MIT, which is sort of debatable. Rufus, you're in Boston. I imagine Boston is not nice right now. No, it's very cold. It's very, very cold. And it's not snowy. And if it's cold, it better be snowy. I passed through there on Thursday, last Thursday. I forgot you were there because I was in Foxwoods uh, speaking at an event, and then I flew out of Boston, and I met a couple of my coworkers at Blue Dragon for a drink and a, and a bite before I got on my plane. And if any of you guys who live in Boston or when you visit Boston, you should go to Blue Dragon because it's delicious. It's my friend Ming Tsai's restaurant, and it's it's awesome. Rufus it is good. Here. Yeah, so, it's very good. Um. Starting off with the bowl games, um, it's that season. Do you like the bowl games or are you like everyone else where you're like, these bowls are stupid? I assume you like them because they're opportunities to bet. Yeah, I do. I, I do. They are opportunities to bet. And they, they're, uh, it's kind of unique because there is such a long layoff. And so people do come up with these sort of narratives. They, they, try, to, uh, they try to sift through what is, in my view, just a bunch of noise. and. Uh, and I think it creates opportunities. So in, that's an interesting thing because, you know, the Todd Furman, obviously, who has become the voice of sports betting because of that show, Lock It In, 
he's the voice of the sharps somehow. Um, and he's, he said, betting bowl games is as much about doing your reading as it is knowing the teams player and coach quotes are more telling than 12 regular season data points. Player and coach quotes are more telling than 12 regular season data points. <laughs> what say you about Mr. Furman's uh, that's, tweet? I mean, I think you know how I feel about that tweet. I, well, I think that's complete. Maybe the rest of the world doesn't know. Maybe you should share it with the rest of the world. Like well, you I mean, I 12 regular about- season data points are worth a hell of a lot more than a few player and coach quotes. I mean, you could have a really, really motivated, um, you know, rice team against a, I don't know, put them in some random no-name bowl against, you know, a, a good team that doesn't want to be there, and and they'll still Alabama. get their ass kicked. Right. What about yeah. Rice and Alabama in a bowl game? Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. Well, that well, I guess then you can make the argument. Well, look what look how Alabama did against the Citadel. I think I think the problem. Okay, so so generally, what he's trying to say, all right, is that you can tell motivation and motivation. So I do think motivation and preparation play a really big part in bowl success. And I think one of the interesting things about it that people don't don't think about is that it's not so much whether they're motivated on that day, because obviously once the game starts, they're going to be motivated to win. But there is definitely like an amount of of lack of preparation, I think, that happens or lack of really good preparation that happens when when teams go to bowl games that they don't particularly care about. Um, what do you mean by that, though, Jeff? Are you saying they aren't practicing or are you saying that they're not going to practice as hard? Like, I think does the coaching do. staff have a different approach to it? Think, I just don't think the players are that folk. I mean, I, I, listen, I, I, I coached, you know, sports at a relatively high level i mean it was you know a level of intercollegiate sports where we played against division one teams and whatnot and if we were in a situation you know the the last couple weeks of the season when you're preparing for the postseason there's a lot of different ways that you can approach that and i think that if you are um, a team that maybe like let's say Virginia Tech, right? I'm just throwing this out there. Virginia Tech is a team that's one of the youngest teams in in college, and they had a pretty disappointing season this year, and you know had a lot of young people on defense. Now, let's say that there's you know they're really playing for next season, and all they're trying to do in this bowl game is in in those last two to three weeks of the season are are prepare these young guys for next season. So, you know, in college football, you only get a certain like in the NCAA, you only get a certain amount of practices. So they may use these to groom up these young guys and and develop them more, which really could um, hurt them in the short term, meaning the bowl game, but probably be a benefit for them next season i.e. maybe some of the more senior players play. Now, again, I'm not saying you should handicap on this because it's really hard to know what's happening and it's really hard to know what the impact of any of this is. But I do think there's there's a real thing here where um, in the bowl games, people aren't necessarily playing or preparing the same way they would if um, you know this was a important regular season game that d- d- dictated their season. Well, what you're talking about are, are two different things. You're talking about motivation, um, but you're also talking about approaching it like a, differently in terms of playing time and, and playing towards next season. So I think those are very different things. But I do think that maybe, you know, can co- player and coach quotes be telling about that? I don't know. 
Um, I think it's very easy after the after the fact to say, oh, this team was doing, you know, this team was obviously playing for next year. They weren't playing, you know, they they were not they hadn't prepared hard, whatever. Um, but before that, um, I think for every time you have a team that, that that doesn't seem like it should have been that motivated, um, there are other times where the better team, uh, the less motivated better team will still blow out the worst team. And so, uh, you know, there is a bit of a confirmation bias at play there. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that's the narrative here, right? Like when you have this narrative and you have a few of these quotes, then after the fact, you're able to very easily say, oh, yeah, of course, of course, this team was unmotivated. And that's why, like Auburn or something last year against UCF, they were what? Over a touchdown, were they like 13 or 14 point favorites over UCF? And UCF really, in a lot of ways, rolled over them, right? And the, the idea there is this SC team was not motivated to play against this, you know, group of five team. And, and I'm sure there were quotes that were said, like, you know, we're disappointed. We're not, we think we should be playing for the national championship, blah, blah, blah. Um, and again, it's really easy to say after the fact. And, and for every time that there's one of these quotes or these these quotes that you could have used that do end up being predictive, there are just as many that ended up not being predictive. It's just that you don't remember those when you go back because they do not meet the narrative that you're trying to fit this to. Exactly. So I, I, exactly. I one other thing that is at play there, you know, with with, for, with the example you gave with Auburn and UCF is the fact that Auburn was a big favorite. And in general, in bowl games, these big favorites don't tend to do as well. So when you're... That's, that's actually a good question I was going to ask you. Is that, like, when I first started betting sports, like, way back in the day, someone told me, like, hey, always take the underdogs in the bowl games because the underdogs are always going to be more motivated. Is there any bias towards underdogs in bowl games, or was there, and has that changed? Yeah, there is, I think. And I think it does come from the fact that there's so much we don't know. And so I think if, if, if the market is too certain about something, then... Um, that's I think the lines is the, the prices on favorites can get too high. Um, also, there because of that there, there's going to be more variance in in how much a team covers the spread by, and so it actually if if money lines are priced just based on um, you know your regular charts, you know you could find some value on underdog money lines. Now it, it's very hard though because it's difficult. You're working with the small sample generally because bowl games are, are less than five percent of of all games. So how much do you actually uh, how much weight do you give to that versus, you know, regular season? Is that noise or not? And that's something that um, that's signal or noise, as our friend Nate would say. Exactly. I mean, it, it's a difficult it's you can say, oh, it's statistically significant. But does that mean it actually, you know, that that doesn't tell you how much um, we talk about this, right? This is this idea of. You know, first of all, is it statistically significant? Second of all, is it truly predictive? And third of all, are whatever factors that you are in there are they causal or are they correlated? So, but, but wait, Jeff, it can be statistically significant. It can be predictive, but that's still. But I still want to regress that effect. Like I, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, the rest of the, you know, the effect of, you know, I understand these, what you're saying. These bowl games um, is all I need to look at, and I shouldn't look at, you know, the entire you know, 95% of games. And I, so you're saying you're going to regress that to the rest of the sample size. Yes, of course. And so overall, when, when I, you know, I find that, you know, the market generally um, is, is too high on favorites and in, in a linear regression of uh, actual score differential on the predicted score differential, 
using the Massey Peabody predicted line, we only get a coefficient of 0.85, which means that if we say a team should be a 10-point favorite, they they only are going to be predicted to uh, win by eight and a half. And it's pretty similar with the market too. So that's saying that the market is too high on these favorites. Now, you know, overall for the, for the entire season um, or you know the entire data set, it's the coefficient's one, meaning a 10-point favorite should win by 10 on average. So how much do I weight the fact that in these 5% of games, the coefficient is 0.85. I don't know. Um, and, and there definitely is, I guess, um, some art to that. And, and, and it is a decision. And it's not one that can be made just based on numbers. You have to sort of, um, yeah. I'm doing my best not to interrupt you when you get that down a rat hole. So just keep going down your rat hole. <laughs> okay, anyway, so... Uh, then it doesn't. It sounds like you do not obviously look at any coaching trends, anything beyond. You don't. You don't necessarily handicap very differently um, in the bowl games. No, not really. And, and what I mean, one interesting thing that actually Cade mentioned to me the other day was that he think you know maybe just having that long layoff coaching matters less in general. Like a good coach, and we we mentioned this on the podcast before. But, 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 no, but did, oh yeah, yeah. Because the uh, yes, okay, got it. But, yeah, sorry. We mentioned this last week, and we, it we was did. interesting. And uh, I this this idea that yeah, longer layoffs when you give everyone more time to prep for something, the value of being better becomes dampened. So the one thing, the one area where there definitely is signal, I think, is is players sitting out, and that's become a new thing in recent years. So you know, Will Greer's out for West Virginia, right? That changed my line by about six points or five points, I think. So, what did you have it? It was a, it was around seven, and now now it's almost even, right? I have it at one and a half, yeah. But the yeah. question is, so so I don't I don't know how to I don't know the value of you know a defensive end that's going to be a first round draft pick in you know in college football. What I can nobody, do is nobody 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 does nobody, nobody does. does right, and so some of these bets like. I'm kind of betting that the market's overreacting to the fact that the Arizona state wide receiver, uh, their best receiver is sitting the game out. Um, right. But that's why you like Arizona plus the five. It's I, I saw five and a half actually spoiler yeah. alert. Massey yeah, Peabody released Massey Peabody released Arizona state plus four and a half. And then it went to five and a half because they just spit in your face. The market didn't give a crap about you. But the question, here's a question for you, Jeff would, you know, we can use, you know how much we can use the NFL as a guideline here. I think to 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 say um, how much some of these players are worth, how much some of these positions are worth. Like Antonio Brown, for example, is worth a little more than a third of a point over an average wide receiver. Right. Um, you know, Khalil Mack is worth like a point and a half. Now, how much? What know, about if he has a? What if about if you know he's going to have a strip sack touchdown? Well, then he's worth. What, what's that worth? Like. A lot. I, I would I would assume seven points. Well, maybe, unless they change the touchdown. Well, it depends on it's where. It's probably worth more than seven are. points, right? It's worth oh, probably yeah. worth more than seven. It points. It depends on where where on the field there. If it's a let's say it was at the one. Let's say it was at the one yard line, and they're about to go in for a touchdown. Then it's worth quite a lot more. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we digress. Question. But the question is: here, Here's my question to you. Do you think a uh, do you think a one of these top college players is going to be worth more than a, a top NFL player that's not a quarterback? I, I had a feeling this is where the question was going, and I started processing this in my mind. And 
I think yes, because I think the replacement level is going to be lower. And I think there's probably in college, there's got to be a much wider distribution of talent. That's a good point. And I, and I actually, I was thinking about this yesterday um, after I'd already released the picks actually, because I talked about it with Caden and, and initially my thought was it, it matters or, you know, one player probably matters a little bit less because teams are so deep. Um, but you're right. I mean, I do think if, if these are just the, the top players, the, you know, the f- high first round draft picks, what you're saying does make sense. Yeah. I think the, the, the counter to that argument is that, um, the call it colleges, a lot of it's about system too, and plugging people into systems and a player, the certainty of how good a player is in college is probably a lot lower than the certainty of how good a player is in the NFL. I.e., like we're, we're pretty sure Antonio Brown's one of the top three wide receivers in the league. We don't know if this guy from Arizona State that's not playing is one of the top three wide receivers. We we think he might be, but there's a chance that this guy goes to the NFL and becomes a complete bust. So I don't know. I mean, I think probably the net net the impact is bigger in college, but I would not put any money on that until I could actually research it. Yeah, you do make a good point with the whole system thing. And as well as the fact that for the draft, it's not just about being the best player in your team. It's about being, you know, the biggest, the strongest, the most projectable in the next few years. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of things there. There, That's why it's like, you can't just look at past performance, but also that's a lot of the reason the NFL people get into trouble, right? Because they're drafting. It's that whole Billy Bean thing. Like we're not, we're not draft. We're not a, drafting models or something like that we're not what's the jeans thing we, we, we're not drafting people that look good in jeans from Moneyball, whatever he said but anywho um so we want to do some college picks you, you i what yeah. we're gonna do is we're gonna do try to do three games each pod of um that will, will be played before the next pod. So this is really up until next Thursday, up until the USF game. The USF game is the, only, is the game we won't be able to pick. Uh, I have three plays. You already released your Massey Peabody stuff, so are you just going to stick with those? I have two. I don't have anything else for, for okay, this. Well, and I think that's good because you, you have one fewer pick than I do so far because that Stanford-Cal game. So I think this will no, even us out. Sure. Uh, I'm going to go with the Huskies plus two and a half over UAB. <laughs> The narrative here, obviously, for me, is that NIU has been a team that's been kind of underrated all year. And UAB is a team that went from two or three years ago, what, not having a a team at all to all of a sudden winning Conference USA. Let down spot. Let down spot. That's what I'm going to say. Let down spot? That's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Middle Tennessee State plus six and a half against Appalachian State. Appalachian State only has two losses. Middle Tennessee State has five, but there's a big difference in strength of schedule. The Sun Belt was the weakest conference in college football this year. App State's schedule was number was ranked 124th according to my numbers. And um, and the, the other big thing is that you can't forget about priors, even though uh, you know we've had 12 regular season games and coaches quotes. Priors still matter, you know. A team you just I, made I, me I, LOL. LOL. <laughs> I think that especially after after a long layoff, a, a team's true talent level does matter, and so a team that's I, I'm more inclined to, to like a team that has 
overperform or that is underperformed its true talent versus the team that's overperformed. It's kind of similar to uh, the NCAA tournament where teams that I think Nate Silver found that teams that were um, ranked high in the preseason polls actually, um, well, he found that the preseason poll actually had some weight in predicting NCAA tournament performance controlling for a team's current, you know, ratings and everything like that, which is basically saying what's the sort of true talent, how, you know, of the team, how based on recruiting and all that stuff. So um, in this, in this situation, App State, um, just this season, App State rates out four points better than Middle Tennessee State. But if you add in priors, it's less than two points. So um, Middle Tennessee State actually played probably the toughest non-conference schedule of a small school. They played Georgia, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky out of conference. So, yeah, I think this is a game where um, you're getting a lot of value with Middle Tennessee plus six and a half. That was more analysis of Middle Tennessee State and App State than probably any other podcast in the world is going to have. So you get it right here. And you got that all without actually mentioning any player on the team. Um, can you name any player on either team? No. <laughs> I can name one. Middle Tennessee State, Brent Stockstill is their quarterback. Oh. He's he's the lefty guy that's pretty good. Is he a lefty? I think so. I don't think. I, I know that. I remember the Anyways. Name, but... Okay. Uh, I'm going to take San Diego State plus the three over Ohio. Um, nothing more to go than I think San Diego State's better than Ohio, so that's it. Um, I'm going to take Arizona State. Are we going to say plus five? Yeah, plus five. five. Is Pinnacle's four and a half. Chris is five and a half. We'll go plus five. I don't know how much of that is perception based off of, uh, you know, how, how, I don't even know the wide receiver's name. Um, but Let's just say it's Antonio Brown. Yeah. Antonio Brown wannabe. Although so he's Antonio Brown player. is not he's, playing. They just announced Antonio bigger. Brown is skipping this game. This guy's got a much better body than Antonio Brown, at least according to the NFL scouts. But anyways, so yeah. Antonio Brown's not playing in this game. Neither is Juju Smith-Schuster. Neither is Julio Jones. And neither is DeAndre Hopkins. That aren't playing. Wow. These are all players that aren't playing. And that's why this line is plus five for Arizona it's, State. So you like other- them. The other thing that you do get in college bowl games is a chance to sort of assess the um, the strength of a conference, right? I mean, because you don't have a team from you know the Pac-12. Well, but did, but did, okay, so that's a so. Are you saying that you will use any sort of early results to change your opinion? No, I mean, although that's a you make a good point. Maybe I should, but that sounds like work. <laughs> well, but they always they always start saying, they, the, but amazing. you know, you, you know that 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 is a popular narrative that starts to emerge early on. If certain divisions do really poorly, um, I think I think like I think every year the Sun Belt seems to do poorly in the first couple of ones, and maybe that's just because they're they're not a very good conference and they sort of play each other and they they. So you're very anti Sun Belt. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, App State lost two games, but they played a bunch of Sunbelt teams. It's like, not gonna well, like you're not gonna like my my pick, which is the, my last pick, which was University of North Texas plus seven and a half over Utah State. No, I'm not. What do you what do you have that line? Uh nine point seven. Hmm. Maybe I maybe I don't like that game anymore. Uh I was looking for a good underdog like a big underdog, but whatever. I'll That's- stick with it. I didn't take, you know, I didn't take Utah State though. So, 
Uh, I'm gonna only I'm only gonna do a, two official picks for this pod. I'll find an extra game later. So okay. University of North Texas is not a pick because we are now gonna stay on brand and say we are anti Sun Belt. Okay. There we go. So my two picks are NIU and San Diego State, and yours are Arizona State and Middle Tennessee State. Yes. All right. Um, you sent me that article about the federal regulation of sports betting. Was there anything you wanted to talk about there? I thought it was a pretty interesting article. Yeah. Fucking, um, fucking Orrin Hatch wrecking well, yeah, our world. We, we, I sent Jeff an article written by uh, Jack Andrews on giving his commentary on this proposed federal bill. It was a good article, you, I thought. Well written. Yeah, it was. It was excellent yeah. commentary. And did you? I read some of the other stuff. I read what Purdom wrote about it as well. Um, mm. Yeah, I think it's. I only read Purdom's stuff when he's writing about people betting lots of money or all of the um, casinos losing money. Those are the only two articles I kind of read from him. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Purdom's a good writer. Purdom, I've I've actually said Purdom and I got in fights. He's gotten mad at me, but he's a good writer. So yeah, I agree. So themes from the article. Uh, the first thing is that it would set up. Or, or I should say, first off, what is this federal bill that Orrin Hatch proposed before he's retiring? Um, and by the way, Orrin Hatch was one of the proponents for PASPA back 25 years he ago. Wrote, it sounds like he wrote PASPA. Or, with his, with his, he wrote it with, like a, with a quill and back in the day and a scroll. So He's an old guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was what that was connoting. Yes, he's old. Yeah. I mean, he's, just like every other member of Congress. He's so. old. He's old AF. You know, that's what the kids say these days, right? It is. Yep. Old. And then I keep seeing, you know, when, when someone texts me old AF, I would be like, wait, old Air Force? Do I have Air Force in that game? No, I'm like old AF. What's AF? And then I got to go look it up. Like when the Seville guys are like throwing some TLAs at me and I got to look them up on Urban Dictionary. And it turns out that their version of the TLA is different than what I think it is. And then they laugh at me behind <laughs> my back as being an old dude, which I've I had, I've literally had to ask them what some of these acronyms are. I know. So. And so there's some of them are nice to you and they're like, uh, that's what it really means, but they won't tell you. And I'm like, Oh, thanks. Yeah. Then they Anywho, just stuff. They're entertaining people. Once you get over the fact that they're really mean, sometimes they're entertaining. Okay, so let's let's dissect this really quickly. Um, so the bill would establish a national sports wagering clearinghouse, which uh, all sports wagering information would flow. So it would be anonymized data. And the point of that would be to look for betting irregularities to sort of see if there's you know match fixing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that, Jeff? I think that's really cool. I mean, just the idea of having a complete data set of every bet that's ever made um, and having that information sharing. I, I mean, I haven't had a lot of time to think about like all the implications of it, but like generally I think that open data and sharing data and collecting like well-structured data is always a good thing. I agree with you on that. I think my initial reaction wasn't negative towards that. Um, so this bill would also modify the wire act and allow interstate layoff bets between sports better the sport between um not sports betters between operating books between books which is something that you and i have talked about as a business potentially right it's like almost like reinsurance for the sports betting industry being able to take the risk that they're not willing to take and then therefore like create a more liquid market and all that kind of stuff so i think that's a very positive thing also 
I mean, I don't know how useful that would be. I don't know how much books are actually going to do that. Like someone, someone I know in the industry was talking about a, a you know, a, a getting approval for sort of a B two B exchange, basically, like just from books. And I, I was like, I just don't see that being. Yeah, well, I, I you don't, you market. don't, you don't see it. You don't see it in the current world, right? But right. you have to like imagine what the world is going to look like in five to ten years, and if all of these you know, all of these like large corporations that own these betting skins, if they look at them, they're like, wait, we're, we're making this much money for that much variance and that much risk. We would just rather have a guaranteed say 1% and like focus on customer acquisition and all the other ancillary benefits of having a book and have someone else own all the risk. I, I could definitely see that being something that happens down the road. And that does lay the groundwork for this sort of like central clearinghouse thing that we're talking about, where you sit in the middle of all these different sports books and you're able to take on the risk for them. Yeah. No. So I think that's a good thing personally. I mean, I, I think it's suboptimal for the, for the books. I mean, to lay off risk. And I mean, I think that, well, but, but again, you're living, you're living in a world where you think they know how to manage their risk correctly, or you think that they have the, um, leeway from their bosses to manage the risk correctly. In, in both cases, we know that that's not necessarily true. You hear these sports books talking about how, you know, the it, you know in your own personal betting how much you have these swings where, you know, imagine that all of a sudden that's mat multiplied by say ten, and you have people that don't understand variance at all at you know telling you, oh, okay, why did you take on that much risk? And you're like, well, because there was edge. Why did you lose what half a million in the Super Bowl, or why did you lose 400k on the U.S. Open, or something? And ma again, magnet multiply that times ten, where these people are looking at like a P&L and they're freaking out about it. Right. If you have like publicly traded companies like William Hill, I mean, that's people are going to look at that. But f William so, so Hill. I, I, f I do, William Hill. I do think that the carve out in the Wire Act to be able to to be able to sort of lay off action makes sense, but but I do. I think that makes more sense than, like, I, I still don't think a, a exchange just for that purpose would be tenable, though. I don't. Okay. That's anyway. That's just my opinion. Um. What? Oh, the worst part: mandatory league data. Ugh. So basically, all bets up until what? Tw at least twenty twenty three would have to be decided using official league data, which sort of. Now we get now we get into that integrity fee again because that was sort of you know the, the leagues could hold out for an integrity fee um, because they would they have a monopoly on their official data, which I think could be really really bad because that would um, you know if what was the proposed integrity fee before by the NBA was it the NBA yeah uh, but that was so of handle which is not one percent of profit one percent no I mean and I I I talked to the NBA some of the NBA people about it and. You know, I was like, listen, this this number that you guys are throwing out, it's either ignorant or disingenuous, one of the two. You tell me which it is. And uh, for some reason, they thought that was offensive when I said that. I'm not sure why, calling someone ignorant or disingenuous. Um, but I think that was just a negotiating thing. I think that was like an anchoring thing. I think they were throwing that out there to make people like, you know, freak out a little bit about the number. And then they were able to come come back with a smaller number. I don't. I personally don't m m mind this idea of like the league data, but what I what the reason I I care about it or the reason I think it's bad is because I think that these leagues are still run by primarily by lawyers, 
And this is the way they know how to make money. They have IP and they protect it and it's just not creative at all. And they're going to end up probably charging too much for it. I think if they did this and they said like, hey, we just want to make sure that everything's and then they started working with sports books on ways to you know either get this number down or to make this percentage small in exchange for maybe paying for marketing or whatever, something like that. If they were creative about it, but this is just going to make them lazy and just going to make them basically do what they know how to do, which is extortion. It's charging money for something that you need and charging whatever you want for it. So yeah, yeah, and the thing is, the offshore books aren't going to have to deal with that, and so I think that this would make U.S. books less competitive, and that the the price, you know, the cost would get passed on to consumers, of course, which sort of leads into the last part of the bill, which talks about. Uh, cracking down on illegal bookmakers. Yeah. Well, um, they 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 wouldn't criminalize actually making the bets, like at least federally. Some states, you know, it is a crime in some states, but you wouldn't be able to, I believe, advertise for any illegal book. Um, it would. Uh, I'm looking for the specifics here. Yeah, I mean, they're basically just going to make it harder for those those people to do business. And and again, like, there's just other things that I want my government and my FBI and my whatever worrying about than like having some illegal offshore sports books. But maybe that's just me. So, what would it do, sort of, for the right, the tout affiliate model? It says it it also it would make the advertisement of illegal uh, sites subject to civil penalty and confiscation. Oh, so Todd Furman would have to go to jail. I don't know. He works with Bet Online. Huh. That would make our model where we don't work with anyone be really good. But maybe sports action would people from sports action would end up going to jail. Maybe Chad Millman would go to jail. What would happen to our sponsorship? <laughs> we'd have to pay the hundred dollars ourselves. Federal or penalty. maybe we'd go to jail because we'd be aiding and abetting these people. Do you like yeah. how I use know some legal jargon? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. As, as okay. Orrin Hatch was quoted as saying, you know, you can make anything a crime under the current laws. So he should just retire. He should retire. What odds would you have of Trump being impeached before the end of uh, end of his term? Impeached or removed from office? Uh, impeached. Because Clinton was impeached. Yeah, I understand the difference. That's why I'm saying impeached. Okay. What, what do you need in the House? What like? What is is it two thirds? It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, I think it's a big underdog still. Um, but what would you make it? You know, Pre- Preston and I made our, our we we went and played uh, horse, and we said that we would probably be, um, you know, I would probably be like plus five hundred against him in horse, even though I beat him once. So like three times. That's impressive. Uh, I'm impressed at your at your modesty, Jeff. What? <laughs> no, he's a good shooter. He's a much better shooter than I am, and he, um, yeah, he's a better shooter than I am. And I, I'm old. I, I used to be a decent shooter. Now I'm terrible. Whatever. Well, I just haven't played in a while. But but do you have a number on this too, so that you you come back and criticize mine? No, I don't. I this literally just came to my mind as we were thinking about illegal and people going to jail and aiding and abetting and Michael Cohen and. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I think, think it's, I, I think the number would be really big. I think it's, you know, I would, if someone gave me like plus, plus, you know, a hundred to one, 
Um, I'd probably take it on him getting impeached, but that's probably where I would take it. You I mean, would not take ten to one. I don't think so. Uh, I, I just need ten to one, but you would take ten to one. Yeah, because there's stuff we don't know about that could come out. But I do think it's. It, I wonder it, what the. I mean, this is probably there's there's a market on this. Let me let me look. I'm at, I'm, I'm looking at predicted right now. Actually, I'm trying to get on there to see okay. all markets. Radio impeach. Will Trump be the 2020 GOP nominee? Yes is only 61 cents. No is 39 cents. And so, this is to win 100? Yeah. So you I mean, mean to win a dollar? 51%, 39%. But that's just totally different than being impeached, right? Well, right. But that's, I mean, if he's not the GOP nominee, then it presumably. There's reasons beyond him being yeah. impeached that he wouldn't be the GOP nominee. One, the oh, Republicans. Go. I got it. Will what Trump be impeached by the end of 2019? Yes, 40%. No, 60%. That is way higher than I thought it'd be. Anyways, okay. I guess I would. I guess I would take ten to one. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out on this. I'm out on my hundred to one. I'm done. Boom. Okay, let's move on because I look like an idiot now because I thought the odds should be 100 to 1. I mean, I guess I would take those those odds all day because I, I just think the thought of, not that I don't think he did anything wrong, um, but that I think that just the ability to get an impeachment done before, between now and then seems really challenging. I'm with you on that. Did you know okay. that you can bet on how many tweets Mike Pence has between uh, in a one-week period? Not really. Yeah. Okay, let's move on because my computer is going to die soon. Mm-hmm. Um, what about NFL? What about it? Playoff scenarios. He tweeted a bunch of stuff early in the week that I thought was interesting, or at least mildly interesting. I did. I did. I'm trying to. I'm trying to gain some Twitter followers, Jeff. Sometimes I when I tweet a lot, though, I end up losing followers. So <laughs> it's like the best thing to gain followers is to That's do analytics right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, my goal. I was, I was, you know, I was like, I can get to ten thousand by the end of the year, but I don't think I'm going to be able to. Remember, I've always told you your mantra in life should be do less. And do less. Uh, less is more. Do less. Less miles. Playoff scenarios, Rufus. Stop burying the lead. Um, okay, playoff scenarios. Yes, yeah, so I tweeted out how the N- There's no drama in the NFC really. Both, uh, you know, all four divisions are basically locked up. The, you know. The North uh, is the most competitive where the Bears have over 97% chance of winning the division. And the uh, num- the first wildcard spot, the number five seed, is most likely going to be Seattle. They're 99.2% to make the playoffs. And so you basically have a fight for one postseason spot, which is which Minnesota is the favorite despite how bad they looked against Seattle. They're still 63%. Uh, you have Philadelphia at 18%. And Carolina ten percent, and then a bunch of you know the Redskins still have a chance somehow uh, with four percent. But what's interesting is that a lot of these teams still control their own destiny, or sort of control their own destiny. I should say, like if the Redskins win out, they still have a seventy nine percent chance of making the playoffs. And Panthers win out, they're seventy three percent. Eagles seventy two percent. So um, it's it's kind of interesting that it's just that we we don't think these these teams are going to win out, but um, in the AFC, it's, uh, you know, I actually ran the simulations this week with both the blend of Massey Peabody and player ratings, which I've been doing, and also just solely Massey Peabody ratings. 
And the one team, the one real difference is the Patriots. Mm -hmm. um, they came in at 17% at on the blend and 13% on the just Massey Peabody. Is this to win the Super Bowl or win the AFC? Win the Super Bowl. Quite yeah. high. Much higher than the market, which kind of dovetails into what you wanted to talk about. Um, the article. Um, I don't even know if I want to talk about it. It's It's bad. Neil Greenberg. I don't know where the hell he gets his numbers from. <laughs> well, he he thinks that the Patriots are only four percent to win the Super Bowl. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe he. I'll and take I it. I'll take. That. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take the twenty-five to one and call call. You know, say thank you very much. But my 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 number is off market high. That's fine. But but it's still still twenty-five to one seems way off. It's true. I'll say this though. I think like when, when, when in the last, when in the last twenty, no, when in the last fifteen years have the Patriots been above ten to one? I don't know. I mean, but there's teams like the Texans who I think you know have a two percent chance of 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 winning the Super Bowl, and I think they're getting you a ton of action. So you you hate the Texans, but the Patriots are an interesting team because quote air quote analytics analytics um, is low is low on them every year or at least i think that's what you know someone like aaron Schatz would say but i think one thing that the patriots have been there's, by the way you know there's nobody like aaron Schatz, so this is a good point <laughs> you couldn't say somebody like aaron Schatz. you just have to say aaron Schatz. no um the patriots are, are they've been every year they're very good in in the scoring efficiency metric they're, they're better at turning yards into points and a lot of that, I mean, one one thing um, that I don't know, people don't really consider the, the, the real the Patriots always have like really good red zone defense and really good yeah. red zone offense. And the, the the notion is, is that like sustainable, predictive, blah, blah, blah. And, and year to year, it seems like it is. And so that's why they sort of defy conventional analytics. A little bit, and also I think people aren't diving deep enough. Oh, and for they also game. don't turn. They also don't turn the ball over right. very much, which is probably because they deflate the ball. But yeah. whatever works at home, at least. <laughs> but think about this, Jeff. If you have the ball at your at your opponent's two yard line, what's the best play is going to be two yards, two yards per play. So you know, if you're on average, you know, if your average field position is basically in your opponent's territory, um, you have fewer yards to work with. It's going to be harder to get those yards your baseline is going to be is going to be lower and you know the difference the saints going into last week had the um, the difference between the saints expected yards just based on field position um, was uh, 0.7 yards uh, less than the Arizona Cardinals which had the worst you know predicted yards based on field position so you know there are things like that and and New England was second to to New Orleans in that metric in, in terms of they've basically have the lowest. So what you're saying is that it's not that it's defy analytics. It's that we need better analytics to describe what they do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There it is. Don't bury the lead. Okay. Uh, do you think the Patriots should have gone for that uh, fourth down that they had? So the, the setting is that, I don't know, there's fourth, fourth and a, a little bit in, in goal inside the five yard line. And there's, you know, what, 17 seconds left. Obviously, if they get a touchdown there, the game's over because it's going to be a two-score game with 17 seconds left. Uh, if they kick a field goal, they go up by five, and they've got a kickoff, and Miami's going to get the ball at roughly the 30-yard line probably. So really it comes down to would you trade 
28 yards there for, you know, essentially 30 yards for Miami. Um, when there's obviously the scenario of field goal versus touchdown, it's a very, it's interesting nuance. I mean, it's probably only interesting because of what ended up happening because most of the time people would say like, it doesn't matter what you do. Um, you're going to win there. But do you think there's any, any reason they should have gone for that? I would have done something completely different than either. Punted? You would have punted. No, I, I would have, I would have, uh, run plays where everybody just held and basically just tried to bleed the clock out with like, you know, have somebody run around in the backfield and literally have all your offensive linemen, like just tackle the defensive linemen and just try to make a plays last as long as possible. I think you could bleed enough time out with a few plays. So, well, you wouldn't have multiple plays, right? Because they would just decline the penalty. Right. Of course they would decline the penalty, but but you'd be able to bleed more time by having all your guys hold. So you're saying like you just run around and lose a bunch of yards and yeah. But if you lose a bunch of yards, you're gonna so so here here's here's your scenario. You put um uh let's say like uh Sony Michelle and Wildcat, you give him the ball, you have him run all around. Um, until he gets almost tackled, and then you have him throw the ball away. He's out of the pocket. What's that? I mean, how much time is left? So you could probably run off like ten seconds in that scenario. If you if you literally tackle all your all your defensive players, like you could run a little more time off than that. I would hope. I like it. I like it. I and like then you could just run through the back of the end zone for a safety. I mean, you could you could burn like twenty seconds. No, no, they were up by two. That would be bad. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah, your scenario is perfect. Besides that <laughs> aspect of it. Okay. Anyways, uh, probably not worth more conversation. Uh, did you see the thing where Doug Peterson said that? He didn't go for one of the reasons he didn't go for two at the end of that game um, against the Cowboys to go up by one was because he knew that if he tied the game, that the likelihood that the Cowboys would end up being very conservative offensively. Like he almost he felt like obviously that he was giving himself at that point like a 50 50 chance to win because he was going to get into overtime. Yeah, because the Cowboys would be very conservative. And I thought that was good. That was something we had talked about and it was interesting to have a coach sort of confirm it. Yeah. I, I talked about that this morning on the Tony Kornheiser show. I kind of forced that in there. What? Maybe he listens. I mean, I think, I think he definitely, he definitely does not listen to our podcast. I Philadelphia will, sports I, I will teams. give you similar Trump impeachment odds on that. <laughs> Philadelphia sports teams like the process. No, they like really, they're smart. They have that, 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 there's that woman that works for the Eagles that seems like really bright. And I think she probably informs some of the decisions they make. That went way over your head, didn't it? Oh, got it. It didn't wow. go way over my head. Yeah. I, I forgot it. We, you know, if Sam would actually come on this podcast, which he refuses to do because we're too um, below his highbrow smartness, anyways. Sam sounds like Kenny Powers, so it would basically be like having Kenny Powers on our podcast. Have you ever noticed that? I haven't. You got to listen to Sam Hinky talk sometime. He sounds like Kenny Powers. Uh, you want to go to picks? Yeah, we can do Let's that. Let's do it. Let's uh, do it. I'm going to take Jacksonville minus seven over Washington. Um, 
I was sort of surprised at this the number these numbers because this number looked big and when I looked at this number I was like how can Jacksonville be a seven point favorite over anyone and then I looked at the numbers and I'm like wow they they probably should be more than that because Washington's bad and they have a quarterback who may have performed well last week in garbage time but I can't imagine is going to be particularly good against a Jacksonville team that you would think would be motivated after looking so bad on Thursday night. Well, they've also looked bad like the last two months. No, they look good against their defense. Look really good against Indy. They shut down, shut out Indy. Except that one ago. game. Yeah, the, yeah, you can't you can't accept. Yeah. I mean, that was that was a that was a pretty big game. How much do you think? How much is Josh Johnson's performance in the fourth quarter predictive to you? Are you saying there's like it's, absolutely no value there? Because it's not like the Giants were necessarily needing well, to prevent at that point because they were up by like forty points. So. I mean, I I don't know. I think it's predictive in that it's. He, I would rather have him starting than Mark Sanchez. I think Mark Sanchez had a lot of time to show us that he's not an NFL quarterback at all anymore. And at least Josh John Johnson's much younger. Josh Johnson or isn't is he? he? Yeah, he's got to be. What's mm, he's. He I forgot Sanchez isn't really that old. Sanchez it feels like Sanchez should be that old. What? Sanchez is thirty-two, I think. Josh Johnson, I'm going to say he's right around there. Maybe 34? No, 32 also. Okay. So same age. Same age. Josh Johnson's more athletic. I'm not just saying that because he's black, but he can run. He's more athletic. Redskins QB Josh Johnson. I, I, I Google Josh Johnson. I see a quote. A week ago, I was home in the hood chilling with the kids. There you go. Although he was about to be. That's, you're you're doing some Todd Furman handicapping. You're looking at quotes. Ah, Smart player quotes. So how do we handicap the fact that he was in the hood with the kids? Well, he that wasn't. Mean he was with the boys in the hood. For he's supposed to be preparing for that Ameri- that other football league. Or no, Ameristar. Yeah, okay. Let's American let's get through this league program. I don't we know. both we both have the Jets plus six versus Houston. Wait, well, yeah, you took you took Jacksonville minus seven. Yeah, and then, and then we both have the Jets plus six. Yeah. We both do have the Jets. Why is, do you like is Jacksonville play? close to a play for you? You know, Matthew Peabody makes it 8.6, but the the player model actually wasn't, you know, it doesn't, it didn't deweight Josh Johnson um, in, in garbage time. The player model didn't. So right. the player model does so not. So thinks Josh Johnson, your player model thinks Josh Johnson's good. No, it, it, but it thinks he's enough of an upgrade over Mark Sanchez because Josh Sanchez. Johnson wasn't actively that bad. If, if it was Sanchez, the player model would have it like way higher. Okay. So I make the overall so combining it seven point four. So I would, if anything, yes, I would take Jasmine before I took the Redskins. So you have the yeah. Jets plus six. Yes, and then I have Carolina plus six over New Orleans. Um, to me, this one comes down to whether Cam is healthy or not. Everyone says Cam's not healthy, and that's why he's been playing poorly. But, but you know, Cam has been. He also said that his shoulder's been bothering him for the last eighteen months. This isn't anything new. And did he? Did he play? Was his stat line poor last game? I mean, that was a game Carolina was winning for most of the game. What's that? Carolina was was beating the Browns most of that game. Yeah, probably first three quarters ish they were winning. And it seemed like Cleveland had a few really beautiful throws and great catches. To Mayfield had this one throw, this fifty yard touchdown pass that was just absurd. It was so good. It was. Wait, uh, that was to Njoku? No, I don't think that one was the one to Njoku. Anyways, um, 
your next pick? I haven't given any yet. You've, I, I, you're just taking them all here. Okay, you've taken three picks so far. I have Jets plus six. I'm gonna take the. Uh, I'm gonna take Oakland plus. We're gonna go Asian handicap uh, plus two point seven five mm-hmm. on a game that I think the Raiders should be a slight favorite. I'm I'm not that high on Jeff Driscoll apparently, and and I forgot I forgot to pick Oakland last week, Jeff. It was awful. I tweeted out. I was like, how did I forget to pick Oakland? Uh, you are the Oakland. Oakland is your version of Kansas Rutgers. I literally uh, like you know they're an FTP buddy play, and they should have been a play, and I like somehow just hadn't highlighted. <laughs> doing the bowl games because like kansas Rutgers and san jose state all aren't in bowls they should actually get to play each other in a round robin <laughs> bet the process favorite round robin. we should sponsor a bowl. how much could it cost for us to sponsor like you know like the it's like the cit or the cbi in college basketball it's the btp you know invitational and the best part is you don't even have to pay the athletes <laughs> we shouldn't we should try to fundraise we'll do a kickstarter we should start a kickstarter and see what happens yeah, I would love to see Kansas against Rutgers. We wouldn't have any bets. Why don't you give another pick? Okay, I'm going to take the Detroit Lions uh, plus two and a half at Buffalo in a game where I think they should actually be favored. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take uh, Tennessee. Looks like you're Asian handicapping this plus the 2.3 quarters at yep. the Giants. You also have uh, Tennessee in this game. I do. That is my fourth pick. But what about Saquon Barkley? He's so good. He is so good. So do you, where are you on the Saquon Barkley over Sam Darnold's uh, situation for picking, for draft pick? Knowing what I know now? Yeah, knowing what you know. You know, I still think for the Giants, I probably would would have taken Darnold. Just because, We don't know what Darnold's going to be yet. I, I, I feel confident in saying that. And... Saquon Barkley may be the best running back in the NFL, but the shelf life on the ever. Back Maybe good. ever. Ever. Well, what's the shelf life? Who knows? And certainly, they're certainly. not competitive now. So I think it, you know, I think Barkley would have been a better pick if, you know, if the Giants had a decent quarterback, but because they do have a decent defense. Yeah, it's it's to me, it's fascinating because I think most people in mainstream media now look at this and they're like, okay, this is proof that like Saquon Barkley was the right pick here and everything like that. And um, I think you still don't even know because the the difficulty in getting a quarterback versus the difficulty in getting a, a running back that is serviceable, um, it's just it's just different. And even if you have the best running back in the league, the difference between the best running back and an average running back is not that much. That's what, yeah. that's what, that's what that's I said. Exactly. Well, anyways, I was communicating it clearly. Okay. Uh, Miami plus seven over Minnesota. Mm, okay. Um, and my last one is going to be Seattle minus four at San Francisco. Interesting. Why do you think this line went down? I guess I don't know, there's been, there's been, I mean, it went down on uh, Denver. Against San Fran last week, but you had Emmanuel was, Sanders. I think, that was, crowd. I think that was an Emmanuel Sanders thing. I think Chris Harris. Well, but and Chris Harris, fine. Emmanuel Sanders and Chris Harris, both. Um, but that obviously oh, yeah. was correct as San Francisco was an outright winner. They were, they were, and San Fran, like you know, I, I heard yeah. on this other podcast, yeah. that they've outgained their opponents in the majority of their games, and but. 
I don't know if that podcast also knew that I think I actually, I don't want to quote the statistic that I don't know if it's true, but, but I think in general, um, there was very little correlation between total yards and winning games. Well, it's yards per play. And yards per play in garbage time. Do you know who, do you know who Ask Josh Johnson about that. You know who the number one and two teams in terms of offensive yards per play are right now? Don't look it up. Do you know who they are? I'm going to go Kansas City. They're number one. Um, number two is is it New Orleans? No, I don't think it's New Orleans. Nope. Is it New Orleans? Nope. Tampa Bay. Nope. Who? San Diego or the yeah, Chargers? Oh, okay. Chargers. I thought it, I thought it was going to be some like big surprise to me. I know Tampa Bay. Chargers. No, I thought that was a surprise. Not that I don't think the Chargers have a great offense. I just thought it was a surprise because I didn't think they were that high, and and they certainly have a pretty good defense. I mean, they're this is going to be a, an interesting game tonight. We got going on. Yeah. Do you yeah. like anything in that? Do you lean anyway? Um, I'm anti Philip Rivers because he's I'm against him in the fantasy playoffs. Oh, well, that should definitely figure in your handicapping. Sure. No, I make Massey Peabody makes it 3.2. Um, three, it's after, after factoring the player model 3.6. So it's absolutely nothing for me. Absolutely no edge. Well, um, there we go. Those are our, those are our picks this week. And our, uh, I, I wanted to, you should check in with your brother, see if I did it was much nicer to you and whether he's happy with how nice I was to you. <laughs> I didn't interrupt you know funny? Did I seem ornery or not ornery? You know what's funny? My my dad messaged me. I don't know. Was this last week's episode? Or is two maybe know. two weeks ago? But my dad messaged me, me you all the time. and said and said he was like he thought it was one of the best yet. So <laughs> it's you can't please everybody. Yeah, I had uh dinner with um a fan of ours who listens to our podcast and he was asking me a bunch of questions too. And I asked him, I'm like, am I, am I too mean to Rufus? And like, no, that's, that's your shtick. You guys yeah. are, you're mean to him. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I felt bad. Like, I don't want to upset your brother. He's like your little brother, right? Yeah. So he you probably like looks up to you. You met him. It's I know. Of course I met him. I'm, I think I've, I've only met him once. I thought I've met him more than once. No, I think you've met him more than once for sure. All white people look alike to me. So that would be it. Uh, okay. Well, with that, guys, that's that's our show, and uh, love to hear what you think about our wonderful song, which was sent to us by Kevin Sturman, and it's our new theme Pokies get thinner, give the information, turn it loose, and betters into winners. Yeah, Sturm Hum, Reppin' Ruckers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody. Crunching all the numbers, Massey Peabody rankings. We're looking for the edge, analytically driven. Crunching all the numbers.